an announcement to make to y'all, to the people of America. The mothership has landed. It's the classic guitar rock podcast. Gentlemen, if you'll examine your charts, please. Let me show you a clip from my latest film where my faulty depth perception kept me from yelling cut at the proper time. When dealing with powerful criminal elements, one can never be too well prepared. Fact, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. Now don't call me Shirley. First thing you do is to get the psychological edge on your adversary by showing supreme confidence. Oh, 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 Joe Foley told me he read that in the National Enquirer. The only paper you read the truth nowadays. I told you I am in command here and I will give the orders, Captain. All music is important, Dick. It's the universal language. One of our best hopes for the eventual realization of the Brotherhood of Man. You get all these crazy people that come and throw these junk on stage. And, you know, I thought it was one of these lower bats. I picture it, it was a real bat. You know, alive? Well, it worked till I bit the head of it, you know. The taste of bats is very salty. Now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move out. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host... Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. So hello and welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast live stream. And my partner in crime, John, is here. And actually, the, the leader of the show today, because he's right in the middle, is Pat McCormick. Pat, I'm the leader? <laughs> you're the leader. Thank you for joining us. And so let me just tell you what what's in store tonight here's why i really wanted to talk to pat the, the main reason i'm a huge i've talked about ronnie montrose i'm probably 10 episodes i just love ronnie montrose all permutations of ronnie montrose i love montrose i love gamma so pat mentioned that he had played with ronnie montrose but then pat's also the host of a youtube channel called the golden rage of tv so i'm gonna make a very bold pronouncement john between our podcast, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, and the Golden Rage of TV YouTube channel, that's all a Gen Xer needs right there. That is all you need. You could not, you could turn off any other form of entertainment <laughs> and you'd be good. John's, he's not buying it. No, not quite. What are we missing? Cars. <laughs> Okay, well, okay, wanna, so maybe throw in. I want to drive a Nissan Pulsar. Okay, well, maybe we're missing cars, but you're almost there between <laughs> classic music, good music, and re the reruns you grew up with. Uh, uh, what else is there? there? I mean, that's that's a lot, a lot of the way. So 
that's my plug right at the top, Pat. If you have not checked out his YouTube channel, and let me say, your YouTube channel has something mine doesn't, and that is production value. <laughs> it yeah. has so much elements. Uh, yeah, I, it's really cool. But y- what's really nice about it is the videos are short, right? So in just a few minutes, you get a little snapshot of, uh, I loved your episode on the Banana Split show talking about Danger Island. Every day I watch Banana Splits. And you remember you'd watch Danger Island. You'd watch the Three Musketeers. That was on Banana Splits. So it was really cool if you're into nostalgia, especially those great TV shows of the 50s and 60s and 70s that we grew up with. It's really cool. So I completely nerded out on your <laughs> channel. Even if we didn't talk about Ronnie Matros, it's it's worth it just to check that out. So that, l- yeah. let me just start with that. <laughs> well, uh, the, the one thing you do want to note, though, is that it does have music playlists as well. It does. And this, oh, I forgot this. Pat has rock guitar versions of classic theme songs. Yeah. I think I watched one where you're playing Get Smart. Yeah. And I is there a Munsters? There is. I think I saw the Munsters. Yeah. Let's see if I can remember them. Let's see, there's Get Smart. There's the Alfred Hitchcock theme, which actually got me in. That, that one earned me a national award. Um, oh. And then I did Perry Mason, which, of course, you just got to. Um, I did the second Lost in Space theme. I also did I Dream of Genie. And I was like, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's it, How can it work for metal guitar? Because right. that is what it was. I mean, I called it the golden rage of TV because I was hard rock guitar versions right. of classic TV themes a la Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Exactly. And so when you see these, it looks like I've actually got a band playing with me. In fact, the matter is, it's all me. It's, it's all, all me you. My, yeah. In my nice. own studio. And uh, that was that was quite a lot of work. And like I said, there's there's a couple of pre-produced videos, the the Hitchcock and the and the Get Smart on there, and the rest are actually live performances of me, where mm-hmm. I'll actually have a shot of me from the neck down, mm-hmm. and just the guitar. I've seen some of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the trick is, no mistakes. You can't may can't mess up. Yeah. From beginning so, to end, no mistakes allowed. One little edit, and everybody's like, oh, he screwed up. So, yeah. so Pat, are you working from charts, or you're just playing by ear? By ear, mainly. And again, the, the funny thing about these pieces, I, I somehow, I just, I grew ears like a donkey when I was, <laughs> when I was pulling these things together. I took the Hitchcock uh, symphony apart, mm-hmm. and 40 guitar tracks played note by note each portion of what the symphonic version of the song is and it worked oh man did it work then i uh (laughs) i came across the theme from kung fu (laughs) (laughs) i had no idea i had no idea until i listened to the whole jim helms version that it was an entire piece of music and it was I'm okay. I'm covered in goosebumps just here listening to the entire piece, and it's just like I know this song so well that I can I can figure out what the melody is easily. But it's all the nuances around it, the orchestration, 
that I'm extremely proud of. Um, so when you when you hear these, what you're going to hear is guitar taken to the tenth degree of just so, trying to cover all the bases. You know how long how long does it take to do something like that? Because to me, I, that I just do not have the well, I don't have the talent, but I don't have the attention yeah. span. <laughs> the t- the concept of when you're having fun, there is no time. Yeah. The concept of when you know you're creating and you're on the right track, there is no time. Mm. So I couldn't, in all honesty, tell you how long they took. All I know is that once I knew they worked, I was so driven that I was in this very room where I'm sitting with you guys right now. Right. right. Hours and hours and hours and hours, you know, working with my Cubase, got my Marshall half stack, and I'm, I've got all I need, you know? Um, and so, yes, I mean, you listen to the Hitchcock theme, you're going to be like, okay, that took that guy some time, especially since, oh, we played the bass and programmed all the drums too. So, wow. I gotta believe maybe forty hours for that piece would be a good guess. So, um, so Pat, did you ever research how those film scores were recorded back in the day? Yeah, well, I mean, they had symphonies. I mean, they had they had crews, they had wrecking crews, they had these guys, these um, what do they call them? Union players, right? Right. And these guys would pack a lunch go to work, living in the valley, drive to the studio, record multiple versions of different songs, different, you know, uh, jingles and whatnot, get paid really good money, and then drive back home to the family. And then and then the next day, do it all over again. Somewhere and, right. right. And these cats, John, these guys were reading. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these, are, I, these are sight readers, you know. I, which is I've heard a little bit about, about Tommy Tedesco. Tommy yeah, Tedesco and all that guy those. is just amazing. He's got some funny stories too. Like um, he, he had some. There was in a, a setting where they had the um, music stands were a little high, so the conductor couldn't see over the top. So um, he has this Spanish guitar and he's playing his part. And then the uh, the conductor goes, "Can you make? Can you have a ballad like that you could play that with?" He goes, "I have one right here," and he just like leans forward so he can't see this play the same part on the guitar again. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Tommy, the mandolin was right here. You know, he's oh, yeah. playing the same guitar. He could do it all. And he was one of the sweetest guys, most down to earth people you'd ever want to know. And I mean, he brought me into this little room at the Musicians Institute. He had a little cassette player and he started playing all these classic TV theme songs. Mm-hmm. So that's where you, you actually met him? I did. Did you go yes. to Musicians Institute? I did. Oh, man, that's awesome. 1987, I met Howard Roberts there, too. And, you wow. know, Howard. Howard, Howard had a column. Just so everyone knows, Howard had a column in Guitar Player for years. You oh, go and he wrote the book. Jazz chords and, yeah, okay, awesome. He was a phenomenal, but he also was the guy that played the Munsters theme. Wow. And all this time I thought it was Tommy uh, because he did the Bonanza theme. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's a lot similar there. But Tommy was just like, and I did this one and this one and this one. And by the time he's done, you're just like, oh, my God, mm. you've done everything, everything. So if I understand it correctly, there's like 
like a whole stable of just incredibly professional musicians that these um, jingle writers would just call up, like uh, Carol Kay, mm-hmm. and uh, oh man, even even Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell, Glenn was, Campbell was one. Of was part of the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. Have you guys heard the name Carl Verheyen? Yes. Yes. He's a master, and he was my private instructor for a wow. good year while I was at Musicians Institute. I got a side lead to him. He was just off the road from with Supertramp, and we became really good friends. And he had that gig where he would pack a lunch, drive to the studio, and he took me one day. And there's Chad Wackerman. There's, uh, I mean, I, I can't even tell you the quality of the players that none of them were in the same room, you know, and here comes the guys that's go, okay, I got my jingle. It's for the diet, right? Diet, right? Commercial. He lays it out in front of them. And it's just what we call fly poop. There's another word we used for it. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cause it was just so intense. And Carl looks over at me and goes, you think I'm going to play that? <laughs> and the fact is he could. Yeah, but it wasn't that. It was they. They wanted a vibe. They'd tell them something policey, you know, something mm-hmm. like Andy Summers. Boom, there it is. This guy comes in, and this is a great story. I've told it many times. This guy comes in during that session, and he goes, and he goes "This band over here is not giving me what I need. Can you guys do it?" And they're like, eh, yeah. "This is, this is for, this is something we need a three chord, just something simple, something jangly." And Carl goes. Jung 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 da 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 that's it and the guy goes perfect and I don't know what the hell it was six months later on the radio I hear it's the right beer now jung jung it's the right beer now Coors Light it's the right beer now da 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 Carl bought a house. Wow. From That's that. Unbelievable. So I heard a funny story. I can't remember the name, but Paul Simon's getting ready to play some TV special or something, and they're going to do Sounds of Silence. And he goes up to the guitar player and is telling him how to make sure when you're playing the beginning of Sounds of Silence that this is how you do it. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 I got it. And he keeps saying, no, you really got it. And the guy says, relax. I'm the one that played it on the record. I know how to play it. <laughs> That's thought interesting. It I thought yeah. Paul did all those things. But- yeah, well, it, and, and, and the thing is, and, and I think we've touched on this before, John, especially in the 60s, all of those great songs – very rarely did they trust the actual artists to play a lot of that, you know? So it was these studio guys, Carol, you mentioned Carol Kay, you know, that played on hundreds of songs. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. So I heard a story also that they were very strongly unionized so that, you know, like they're, they were basically like in the, in the common parlance, there are clock watchers, you know, because oh, if yeah. the session went so long, they'd get overtime. Yep. So, and if they wanted to be home at a certain time, so they would, you know, they would put pressure on the, on the, on the studio, the conductor to like, we have to get this done. You're going to move into our, our, our time and a half. And they'd be just right. like, they just crank these songs out. They only <laughs> had so much time, you know, right. You know, right. Crank them out. The, mu- the musicians are like, all right, time and a half. 
We're taking too long. (laughs) That's awesome. So I caught this as I was digging down a, a, a rabbit hole on YouTube last week. I was aware of it, but, but never was a fan. But the animated Batman cartoon that came out in the early nineties, there's a fascinating documentary about that, John. And think about this. This is for a cartoon that they would run, you know, for kids. They used a full orchestra. I mean, they were doing, they really, Warner Brothers invested all this time in the the animation that they did. It's really incredible. But a full orchestra to, to get music for. And they, and a lot of these animators came from the, the animation mills of the seventies making terrible cartoons, many of which Pat probably talks about on his channel. <laughs> right. But a lot wow. of these animators are, are, are coming from Hanna-Barbera working on yeah. super friends and all of these things where they weren't allowed to show, weren't allowed to draw guns, right. They couldn't have any guns in super friends or any You're of right. those. And so then when the animated Batman comes out in 92 or 93, they actually have guns. How did they get away with that? They had a full orchestra. It's a lot darker. Like, And these animators were so stoked to come from working on Smurfs and Super Friends (laughs) and whatever it was to to doing this this cartoon. That was a high-quality, high-quality series. Batman, the animated series, is what you're referring to. Exactly. And, um, And of course, Mark Hamill, the voice of Joker. the Joker. Right. And does a phenomenal – it was just a fascinating documentary. So I just was going to throw that out. It's worth checking out the documentary. Since I saw the documentary, I'm trying to find the actual – to get watch the – and it's like to rent the episodes, it's like five bucks an episode, and I'm not (laughs) – I'm not that big a fan, uh, but I, I do want to check them out. So, Pat, I have to ask you this question. Tell us about about you, your kind of background in music. We're not going to get into Ronnie specifically yet, but I'd, I'd like to just kind of hear your background. And and you went to GIT. Oh, um, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me ask this. While you were there, did Robin Ford ever come through? Were you ever? Do, did you ever get to meet Robin Ford? No. Okay. No. Who I, did I, see? I love. I love Robin Ford. Steve Morse came through, and that was okay, unbearable. Okay. Um, nice. oh, oh, I think probably the most impressive uh, special guest that I can recall, besides the faculty. Right. Um, right. Right. Was um, oh, I just had his name. He was the drummer for the Dixie Dregs. Rob Morgenstein. Yeah. 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 He's great. He's awesome. It was, yeah, it was beyond belief. I'll never forget. Somebody asked him who his favorite drummer was. And when he said Ringo Starr, the whole place laughed. Really? Yeah. We didn't get it yet. And then he said, I'm serious. And then went behind the kit and went, boom, 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 and went, and everybody went, ah, of course, of course. Yeah. You think of Later. all the all the iconic songs that Ringo played on, and I'm not a drummer, but even you listen to the drum beat in Strawberry Fields, I think is the one I'm thinking of. That drum beat was that kind of in in the late '80s. 
that drum beat was just you heard it over and over on whether it was a uh I'm trying to think of examples. I can't think of example, but but Ringo just had some iconic. He wasn't a soloist in the in like a Carmine Apice or John Bonham or something, but man, he had some really cool stuff. Really, he was cool a musician. Stuff. Absolutely, he was a musician. Yeah, you know the only thing that's the difference between drummers and musicians, right? You know, <laughs> Give us I got plenty of drummer jokes. Let's not let's not go there. It's mostly IQ, isn't it? No, 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 no. Like what do you call a a full time or a professional drummer? It's where what? one that his girlfriend has a full time job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, you can play that guitar players, but uh, the bass player one was a teacher has a kid come to him and he says, "Johnny, you got to learn this E string this week. Go learn the E string." Kid comes back, goes, "Great. Now here's the A string. Go learn the A string. Now see you next week." Kid misses his next lesson and calls him and goes. Hey, you missed your lesson. Where were you? And the kid goes, oh, I had a gig. That's <laughs> <laughs> all it took. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, music critic, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're, we're, we're sharing your comments for the world to see. So I'm not that grave a musician. I'm really not. But I really recognize greatness in others. Was there any player that stood out like this person can communicate on a much higher level than like anybody? Did you ever run into somebody like that? Yes. Yes. And it was at that time while I was at Musicians Institute. And of course, Carl Verheyen, you know, just technically he was superior to just about everyone. But there was this guy <laughs> named Marcus Demmel. Now, I, I recommend all you classic guitar rock guys to look up Marcus Demmel. It's D-E-M-L. He's from Germany, and he was there at the same time, and we became very good friends. I had never heard playing like this in my life. And what happened was we would do what we call pizza and beer jams. These were awesome because we would have jam tapes. We'd get pizza and beer and whatever else was handy. And we would switch, we would take turns playing 16 bars and go around soloing 16 bars, soloing 16 bars. And it was usually about three or four of us. Marcus and I were always, excuse me, there. And I unfortunately always came after Marcus <laughs> because the, the, there were times when we were sitting there witnessing the greatest guitarist that ever lived. And it was simply because he instantly, it became a part of his body and he didn't repeat anything. He put all his emotion into what he was playing, single string technique. And I was transformed doing this. I didn't expect it, didn't notice how it happened other than just watching him and going, so if I develop that vocabulary right there in my playing, I will get transcend myself to a point where I got just a bass and drums behind me, a spotlight, because I had to have that. <laughs> and I cannot think. I can literally shut off, know what key I'm in, but every freaking note was perfect. And I dare, I mean, I'm trying to be modest here, but there were times there where I was just like, I could trans, I could put out every emotion I was feeling, and then I could literally entertain 
with laugh at laughter, sadness, screaming, crying. Every emotion that you could think of was available instantaneously, thanks to Marcus Demmel. And when you guys see him play, his band's called the Blue Poets, I think. Um, What's How do you spell his name again? D-I-M-L? D-E-M-L. D-E-M-L. Yeah, and he's he's very renowned in Europe, um, very well known specifically in Germany. He's one of the best players ever. The first thing I think of when I when I think of someone from Germany is I think of like Michael Schenker, right? Yep. Is it is it the 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 water? (laughs) Is it the water? Is it the is it the European music? You know, they're exposed to maybe different kinds of music than we are here in the states. Yeah. That's just an interesting well, thing. I, I kind of liken it back to the great composers because, again, most of them were from that that area, you know, these guys that were beyond anybody that ever will be was the great composers. Right. And they played what they call modally rather mm-hmm. than just your stand, standard minor pentatonic scale, which, you know, is about all Ronnie ever did. Right. But boy, could he make that freaking thing work? Marcus, on the other hand, was like, but you have to you have to go into the mixolydian mode. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the dominant keys. You have yeah. to dominate the key with the mixolydian. Yeah. And then there's the lydian flat nine. And then he'd start getting really technical. And it's like, not only do you play without thinking, you know what you're doing. And it's just like, what a jerk. But in fact, we became... We've stayed in touch. I haven't seen him since 1989, 87. Wow. But we've stayed in touch. And it's just it's magical in that way that he's still we still pat each other on the back, you know, and he's still doing it. So yeah, definitely so check out me, Marcus. Yeah, tell me how you got, you know, what was your what was your interest up up until the time you went to uh Musicians Institute? I mean, what was your musical background like what we want to hear the story well i started when i was 13 because i had a great junior high school teacher music teacher who actually would put rock bands together at the junior high school that we went to and we would play you know for the school at assemblies or whatever you get that feel of actually being on stage and performing for a big audience that lit the fire in me we were of course terrible but you know there wasn't that wasn't the point the fact was that the girls were looking at us and that was like okay i'm all in on this Mm -hmm. um and so i met a friend in high school when i went into high school christian taylor is still a colleague of mine and we hit it off and just decided let's throw together a band that can actually go out and do four set nights by the time I was in ju- a junior in high school. I had a band that was playing nightclubs, four sets a night, all up and down the state of California. Mm. So dropped out of school, took the test and dropped out. I don't want to say dropped out. I took the test, got out of school because I was out actually making a living playing music. Problem was, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. <laughs> I mean, we were we were like, okay, well, we know how to play this song. And look, they're dancing. We're in there. Okay. And, and it was top 40. And and uh, there wasn't a lot of thrill to that type of playing. And again, it was fun because we played places that had a lot of fun people. But boy, it was kind of like the Beatles in that way, where we worked our tails off and it developed our skills. 
But again, I, I, what happened was I got to the level of playing where I'm playing with these people and they started talking to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what that means. No, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so going to, going to MI filled in the blanks theoretically for me. So that now I can understand what people are saying when they're talking to me and I can verbalize back just the musical vocabulary. So that's what got me to that point. And then, of course, there was just intensive play every day, you know, sometimes 10 hours a day. I would log sometimes that. So I I went so far in 1987. I sent to you know, Guitar Player Institute, the little thing where you could have them send you an info packet, right? They send me the info packet. I remember looking over this little quiz thing where they're asking you to, you know, how would you play a G major seven? You know, it's just kind of a basic thing. And of course, I didn't know, you know, I didn't I didn't know the answers to any of that. And I just, money, I didn't have money, but that was one of my dreams was, going to the guitar play guitar institute i just thought that would have been so awesome oh, and in 1987 just imagine man i was like it was crazy at that time yeah of course guns and roses was everywhere and you just couldn't get away from them you know so at the time the sunset strip was quite a deal and you're pretty close to that in hollywood would would that yes. kind of spill over both directions from from guitar <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay, wait a minute. So your question is, was I close to the, the scene on Sunset? And had I witnessed it and been a part of it? Uh, yes and yes and I, yes. I guess my question is, when you walk through the halls of Musician Institute, was there a lot of hairspray and, yeah. and spandex? Yes. Well, okay. not spandex, but but a lot of hair. And believe yeah. me, the, the Tedescos and the and the, and the Joe Diodoro, Diodoro Jeff, Jeff Berlin, all these just... Are all kind of looking out the door, going, "What? Yeah, what's with the poodle heads?" Yeah, yeah. so they call yeah. them the poodle heads. <laughs> and you know, I, I was kind of one of those too, but it was great. I mean, they, I, I, I didn't, I tempered my look, so they actually used my, they used me in the catalog. At the U two could do this, and so I wasn't too overboard. Plus, I could back up any kind of. Egomaniacal look I ever came up with. It's like <laughs> you can, you know, you can look the part great, but if you can't back it up, and you can talk the talk too, but if you can't back it up, then you're a jerk, you know. So, who of your tenure of your class when you were there, were there any any of the your alumni that went on to be <laughs> successful? Like, when was Paul Gilbert there? Was he before you? He was before me, but he was he was there as a interim teacher. Gotcha. He would actually come in and give instruction, private instruction, personal instruction. You know, it was just like <laughs> you yeah. you walk down the hall halls and hear him in a room and go, "That can't be possible. That can't be possible. What is going on? No, that cannot be possible. Nobody can play that fast." And of course, once you get your look around the room, your look, and it's the fact is, is that he could make tapping sound like he was picking. Interesting. And and so usually you would know what tapping sound when somebody's tapping. You know, Eddie certainly made it clear. I am now tapping, right? Gilbert 
tapped so hard that you couldn't tell he was actually tapping. Thus, it made sound like his and his picking technique was great, too. Yeah. And again, what a sweet guy. Totally down to earth. Nice fella. He seems like a really down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. Paul is amazing. I really like him. So yeah, hey. he would be he would be the guy because otherwise, really nobody, you know, yeah. except me. Yeah. You know, I love, well, but there are, you know, okay. So there's a guy on YouTube, John, and and I mean this, I don't mean this in a, in a, in a disrespectful way, but, but he's a nerd that uh couple, no, not you. You're oh, not I'm a nerd though. I'm a geek nerd. Proud of it. Guy, Andrew Wasson, do you see the cre- creative guitar studio or whatever? You ever watch his videos, John? I haven't stumbled across. He them. does not look like. A guitar player. He looks like a science teacher, right? He's a GIT grad. And so I'm just, you know, I th- I think a lot of times we think that guys, everyone that went to GIT was a metalhead, but that's not the case. Oh, no. There were, there were lots of jazzers. And, and that's how it was established. It was exactly. established more as a uh, sophisticated jazz type yeah. uh, bebop players that could play over changes. You're just like, what? What is that? You know, and then of course there's the Marcus Demo, and it's just like, okay, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's what I want to do. And we, we, you know, all you had to do was make friends with them. That is awesome. And away you go. <laughs> I'll check him out. So, here's what I want to do, Pat. We're going to take a short break. Our short word from our sponsor, and uh, then when I come back, I want to talk about Ronnie Montrose, and then I want to talk more about your YouTube channel too. Great. So let's take this short commercial break and then we'll be right back. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The basement can be a lonely place. Hello? Hello? Is anyone in here? Yet, at the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, the basement is all that Jeremy and John have. Their wives don't want them geeking out on classic rock in the living room. Can you blame them? But you can help. For as little as $3 a month, you can become a supporter on Patreon. Join today and end the cycle. Visit patreon.com slash classic guitar rock. They'll still be in the basement, but at least it's not your basement. Hello? Is anyone in here? Yeah, for some reason or another, you sound a little taller on radio. <laughs> Jeremy Lunnan. On the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. 
We only have sponsors for very important messages. Well, I endorse that commercial. Yeah. You guys are great. No, I be, I became an instant fan since the heard you. So. so let me let me this. I, I just have to throw this out here, and I'm gonna also throw John's lovely wife Cheryl under the bus. So when John came on to the podcast, you know, you've heard at the beginning of. Uh, this is why Pat and I just are, are kindred spirits when it comes to the old TV shows and stuff. I love like montages of clips from old TV shows and stuff. And <laughs> Cheryl's absolutely right, actually. But Cheryl listened to this episode and she's like, man, that part at the beginning, that was that was really long because <laughs> it was a long montage <laughs> Of I don't remember which one it was. I just do themes. I'll grab like the Johnny Quest theme, and then I just start putting together audio drops from TV shows that I grew up with. And that's why I just it, it's a Gen X thing. Yeah, our topic is classic rock, but I just try and tie in all the things I thought was cool when I was a kid. And and Cheryl thought it was too long, so I, I hope people don't think it's too long. And if they do. Too bad, right? <laughs> but, I, you know, I just love that. I love the little audio drops of of different shows. So, so my wife is a, is a high school teacher, and she taught drama for years. And she has no time to stroke egos. <laughs> <laughs> so she lets you know, like, it's she not says, working. Do something drama. different. And you yeah. And, my, and I told, I told John, I said, well, here's the deal, man. My target audience is other guys in their 50s like me. And I think most of us probably grew up watching reruns, right? We probably all watched Banana Splits. Sid and Marty Croft. Sid and Marty Croft. We watched Gilligan's Island. We watched Smokey and the Bandit. So in my mind, I'm just relating to my to my to my audience um and you know cheryl hurt my feelings john so that was the main no, I'm just I, you know i would say that she feels bad about it but i know she doesn't <laughs> so all right so pat tell us about ronnie mantras how did did he did he become aware of you because you were at git or how did this all come about no um okay it's really complex, you know, in a weird kind of way, because I've learned things posthumously about how he came, became aware of me and why he had a connection to Santa Cruz and all of these things that were very curious. But Santa Cruz had a really popular rock club um, that all national acts would pass through. It's called The Catalyst. And during the time, right after I came back from GIT, I had a trio. It was the Pat McCormick group, and it was instrumental. And I basically got first call on every big rock act that came through as an opener. Mm. And that did a lot for me. I mean, a lot of names. I mean, that I, I mean David Lee Roth, Foreigner, Rory Gallagher, The Tubes, Blue Oyster Cold. Oh, God, the list goes on and on and on of who I was able to open for there. And of course, Ronnie Montrose and Gamma. So I had a particularly good night opening for Ronnie one time in about, I guess it was probably 1990. A really good night. 
mm-hmm. was that moment, like I was telling you, John, that where I didn't think, but the spotlight really helped me not think. It was just like, this is it. This is my home. I am at home. And the audience really responded. Um, so I was just stoked on that. But then the sound man comes over and goes, Pat, after I'm done, goes, Ronnie wants to meet you. And I'm all in, man, because he was one of my biggest influences. Okay. And um, <laughs> I, I, he took me up to the backstage and said, Pat, Ronnie, and he goes, hey, so how long have you been playing? And I, smart ass, go, what time is it? <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, sense of humor, huh? <laughs> What's your number? I gave him my number and I was like, okay, that's promising. Then during that time, I had moved back to LA since hearing t- till I heard from him, I had moved back to LA uh, to try to get a, a touring gig and came close a few times, actually came really close. And at that's this moment when I got kicked off the, the tour because I was a Scorpio. Thank you, Cher. Um, the, the phone rings and it's Ronnie Montrose. And I think it's a joke, of course, because it's like, how did you get my number down here, which is a different number from the one I gave you? And anyway, he tracked me down through the Catalyst. The, the club owner of the Catalyst knew me well. And anyway, it's like, hey, you want to be in my band? Yes. And great. Well, you got to come back to the Bay Area. <laughs> I went, oh, darn. <laughs> I, that's where I grew up. That's where my folks live. Um, okay, no problem. So that worked out really well. And we played on and off together for about four or five years after that. So this and, is in the 90s. This is like yeah. the early to mid 90s. Okay. The early 90s, yeah. And you played, I'm assuming you played live. You're not on any albums with him. You no. With him. So you, you toured with him. Mm-hmm. You're playing uh Montrose stuff you're playing gamma stuff you're doing the whole catalog yeah we didn't do gamma um didn't. something really strange about that was that gamma got back together for the first time it was the reunion of gamma at that time and of course they were still they were still had a lot of vitality both him and Davey had a lot of vitality so they put together a, a seven show tour and I got to be the opener Nice. And that's how I became really close with Davey. I mean, Gamma, I, oh man, all through high school, they were stuck in my A-track player and got me through breakups and all of this. It was just like, you don't know how much I love you guys. And just the fact that I'm, and then of course, having played with Ronnie, it's just like, this is, this is kind of a pinch me thing because he truly was a legend. And the amount of stuff that he did, it was just so, phenomenal. I really think... And I'd be interested to hear your opinion. That first Montrose album is about 10 years ahead of its time. Yeah. It is just, it came out in 73. And you listen to this album and you compare it to another album from 73. Compare it to a BTO. And I have nothing against BTO. I like BTO. But that Montrose album, the, the, the guitar sound, everything about it just kicks the crap out of anything else from 1973. And you know, it was produced by a guy from my hometown, Ted, Ted Templeman from Santa Cruz. Yes. Okay. You know what he went on to do? Exactly. Um, Van Halen, the Doobie brothers. They all uh, in. Yes. Just his read his book, by the way, platinum producer. Oh my gosh. 
And the fact that he's talking about stuff going on right down the street from where I live now just mm -hmm. floored me because I had no idea he lived here wow. or grew up here for that matter. Wow. So, uh, yeah, definitely ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, and you got to think in in context, right? So 73, it's a shame that they didn't get the commercial notoriety because, again, I'm biased because I love Montrose. But they're every bit as influential to me, I think, as Deep Purple was, as Black Sabbath was, as and they were some people called them the the first American heavy metal band. I don't know, you know, whatever. But Space Station number five, yeah. that is awesome. the coolest song maybe ever. <laughs> Seriously. And and you you know, Sammy Hagar's no slouch either, of course. Uh, but he is just he should get so much more attention than he does. I, make no mistake. The legacy he left he left is indelible. Mm -hmm. He is known. He got out of self-sabotage, maybe not as far as he could have gone. Um mm -hmm. But when I was with him, we actually started working in first album songs, and I could not have been happier than about mm. that. Problem was, we didn't have a singer. <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, hey, Pat, you want to sing Rock Candy and, <laughs> and Rock the Nation? Yeah. And mm. I said, yes. And so, oh, man, did I work on those good rocking tonight? Oh, my God. And I was like, Okay, I can do this. And and boy, oh boy, we would close the show with Rock the Nation and Rock Candy. And I'd get the whole audience yelling hard, sweet, and sticky back at me. It was just, it was, boy, some of the best memories I've ever had. So, okay, there's a video. And you might know, do you know Mark Bonilla? Of course. Okay, so... I think even in the uh, Robin Trower episode, which I think yes. you listened to, I'm talking yes. about that 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 Montrose tribute show, and Mark Benny is playing the Gamma set. Yeah, you know, Jeremy, let me address that. Yeah, I heard you talking about it, and it sounded eerily like Ronnie's memorial concert, which was done up in the city. It wasn't, wasn't long after he passed away. Mm -hmm. Sammy put together this all stars come together to remember Ronnie show. And yeah. I went, I went with Ronnie's ex-wife as a matter of fact. Um, really? And it was so bizarre because it was high budget, freaking full on camera crews, booms and everything. Yeah. It's a pro total pro shoot. sold out. Yeah. Sold out. And Neil Sean starts with town without pity. And when I heard you describing it, I went, That's that it. sounds That's like one. the memorial concert, you know, and then Sammy came out and they did all the Montrose songs with Satriani playing. And it was really weird. It was really weird because the audience wasn't there to remember Mon Ronnie. They were there just to rock out. Right. And it was really <laughs> bizarre in that way because it just wasn't like a moment. It wasn't, there wasn't, there was no somberness to it until Gamma came on. Mm. And Davey brought it down to earth and just said, hey. And he looked up. And then they did that set and Mark nailed it. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. They blew everybody away, in my opinion. And I hadn't talked to, to Davey at that point in 20 years. 
And we didn't connect until I found him at a rock club in San Jose here. And it's just like, we didn't skip a beat. It was as though we'd never parted. We'd lost touch with each other. But now we're in touch with each other all That's the time. Awesome. And Davey Cadison, he's one of my – He to me, he's Paul Rogers. He's, he should be as big as Paul Rogers. Yeah, yeah. He's phenomenal. Yes, an all-time great. I, I feel so honored that we have that friendship. And that what he thinks of me, which is just like – are you talking about me? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, one of the best. What? That's me? Awesome. Yeah. Oh, come on, baby. That but is awesome. Again, so, he caught me. Okay. He caught me at the right time. <laughs> you and Davey need to do an album. Get together. Oh, that'd be cool. An album. It was this close. It was this close. I mean, really? the Golden Rage of TV was a live performance. I had all the backing tracks, and I came out and did all the main lines instrumentally and i opened for gamma like three times when they put it back together this was five six years ago Mm -hmm. when he was in the bay area still he's since moved back to scotland but we reconnected and it was like boy if any time that other guitar player just decides he doesn't want to do this anymore i know where i'm gonna be i just and and so i mean no, I never got to play Gamma songs. I take that back. I take that back. I sat in with him one time at a club, but we did the Voyager. Nice. And it was like. You can only do one Gamma song. That's probably the one you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I, I just have, this has got to be early 2000s. There, You've probably seen it. There's a YouTube video and it says it's a Montrose concert. It's only like 15 minutes long. It's. Ronnie and and a band doing they do Voyager, they do maybe Rock the Nation, maybe Space. These are like four songs. Drummer looks like William Shatner, singer looks like <laughs> Nicolas Cage. But it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. I don't know who these guys are. And that's the thing about Ronnie, is you see him every time you see him, he's playing with different people, right? Yeah. He would share. He would share. And he was really generous with me. He shared the spotlight with me like crazy. And he did that for other players, many other players that he'd see up and comers and just say, hey, come work with me. I felt special because I stuck with it for five years. <laughs> so it's like, I make it five years. These other guys were only doing like one, if even that. But, you know, again, he just liked to mix it up. He really loved to mix it up. So while I was with him, I played with three different bass players and three different drummers. <laughs> and so that was, that was the way it worked. He would just mix it up. I don't know why he did that other than just, you know, he, he got bored easy. <laughs> yeah. I didn't bore him. Obviously I didn't bore him soon enough, but. So uh, was, was he, was he easy to work with or was he kind of mercur- <laughs> mercurial? Is that the word? Was he kind of difficult to work with? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> He was, a, he was, at times, easy to work with. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. But he had this sense of humor that was his and his alone, mm-hmm. which quite often you would be the one that would have to pay the, pay the, uh, pay the toll for. You were on the receiving end. Yeah, exactly. And I I just recall one gig as an example where we were we were finishing with Town Without Pity 
And I decided I'd throw a little chord thing behind his opening soloing thing. And he looked over at me from across the stage <laughs> with this look. It was this. Yeah. <laughs> Which is part of his normal look. Only this, this meant, Pat, one more note comes out of you. I'm going to come over there and smash that thing over your head. That's basically <laughs> what it said. Yeah. And so I've stopped. I'm freaking out. This is the last song. The drummer thinks he's looking at him. So now he's freaking out. We get off, right? This is uh, the stone in San Francisco. We get off, sold out. And there comes the encore. Raw meat, raw meat, raw meat, raw meat. That was our joke because it was always Ronnie. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're just standing there freaking out. And he's not saying a word. And he goes and looks up at me. And my, my drummer goes, okay, I want to see Don and Pat after the show. Let's go do that final we go out in this place. We get through. Oh, this is going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. I get done. I can't, I don't even shut my amp off. I just unplug the guitar. And of course, you know what happens then. And he goes, as we're walking off, somebody shut that goddamn amp off. You know, it's like, oh man, we're in so much trouble. We get done. We go in the backstage. He walks over and goes, good show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was the thing. I mean, you never knew what you were going to get. And a good portion of the time, it was a joke at your expense. Mm. Um, and he, in that way, it he was endearing. You know, yeah. I, I actually love some of the things that he did like that. Um, but that was one of the that was definitely one of the ones I remember the most. Yeah, he was a he, he liked to stir it up. He'd like throw a bomb in the room and walk away and just see what happens, you know. Did, he, that let, guy. <laughs> did he let you solo? Oh, yeah. A lot? Okay, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was. I mean, again, it was like, I don't have to, Ronnie. You know, you got plenty of other guitar stuff going on here, and none yeah. of it was easy. Right. None of it, because it was his oh. instrumental music. And mm -hmm. so very sophisticated stuff. I felt fine just doing that. Yeah. But then he'd be like, okay, Pat, and you take one on this part. And then you take one on that song, and so maybe every every second or third song, he let me he let me solo, that's and then of course he, he let me sing too, which was just yeah. like that's awesome. <laughs> so, that's really cool. So Pat, can you give us a little background on like the equipment you were using, that kind of stuff? Because I'm I'm pretty comfortable with home stuff, but when you're playing for these uh, really big commercial paid gigs, what kind of what's your instrumentation? What kind of gear you got? Well, you know what I had really. I had a really good system. Have you heard of the Bradshaw, Bob mm -hmm. Bradshaw? Oh, the, I, the the covers of or the 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 big full page ad in Guitar Player magazine. He had that like glasses and this really yeah. long mullet. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and he was holding this thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Bob was great, and he he put together a system for me, and I called it the mailbox because it kind of looked about the size of a mailbox, um, but it had my amps mounted. And it was strange because it was the era of Randall amps, solid yeah, state. Randall. And, it, and when I brought them in to, to Bob to install, he looked at me like I was crazy. Mm. What, what, what did you bring these solid state pieces of crap in here for? I said, Bob, just, just do it. Just, I've been playing these for years. Just, just put them in there for me. Cause he had to take them out of the chassis and mount them into the, uh, and, and so. 
I come to pick it up and he looks at me and he goes, you know, those Randalls actually sound pretty good. And that was it. It was the era. It was whoever was working the electronics at that time made those things phenomenal. Uh, circa 1985 Randall RG100s. Yeah. And didn't they instead they didn't have grill cloth on the on the cabinets. They had like a expanded metal like cage on it. Well, it it was a wannabe it was a wannabe Marshall. So it literally looked like a Marshall head, but it said Randall instead. And again, what I had him do is I had him pull because all it really was was this big. It was was this big. It wasn't the full. It, there was nothing in it. It right. was just look like it, you know. And um, so that was my sound. The first rehearsal I, w- I went to with Ronnie had not met him and talked to him. And I mean, other than that gig, I had not talked. I mean, I take it back. We we learned music on the phone. We learned. He taught me what he wanted me to do over the phone. You know, about a month up until so yes, we we knew each other quite well, but we hadn't actually hung together. I got there early. I I brought my stuff in and set it all up, and nobody was there. So I went out and got a sandwich. I come back, everybody's there. Funny thing is, everybody now, everybody who is people I don't even know, are all standing around my Bradshaw pedal board, my really expensive Bradshaw (laughs) pedal board, and I see smoke coming up, and it's not even on. And it's like, okay, these guys are trying to figure out, should we put it out or should we just let it burn? You know, <laughs> what the hell they're doing? You know, but it was the crew and and the bass player, maybe at that moment, that's that all I saw there. And as I walk up, they're standing around Ronnie, who's sitting on the floor with my Dunlap crybaby torn apart with a soldering gun. And he's working it. And he looks up and he goes, I'm fixing it for you. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? It works fine. He goes, no, you don't, you don't understand. All your sound goes through this damn thing. So even when you're not using it, it's diminishing it your tone. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're creating a transfer straight through so that when you shut off, this is what this does. Yeah. Put an old new pot for me, soldered it for me, got it ready. And he did it for me. And I was like, wow. That's awesome. This is, this is going to be great. <laughs> and and that is so true about those old wah pedals is if it was in line, mm, it yeah. sapped your tone big time. Right. So he's basically it making it a, a true pass. Yeah. yeah. That was it. That yeah. was it. <laughs> That's awesome. That is phenomenal. So, and I don't want to dwell on the negative parts, but uh, Ronnie d- had some struggles, physical, emotional, you know, did you keep in touch much after you were done playing with them? Yes. Well, not as much as I would have liked to. It would probably be, you know, every couple months. And then it become, he came to my wedding, which was great. Um, then maybe every six months. Then, you know, how friends, right. friendships kind of fall. Um, and he floundered. He was he was married. That broke up. He moved to another woman. That broke up. And he was living in a garage. And that was wrong. And next, you know, it's just like. Stuff I didn't really want to know because that was not the man that I played with. The right. Ronnie that I played with had it together yeah. and expected us to as well. And as a matter of fact, sure, you know, whatever happened to him towards the end, he had health problems. And, and you know, unfortunately, he started drinking a lot. I never saw that. We'd have a, we'd have a shot of Remy Martin right before we went on stage. 
that was it. Boy, did that work well, too, I might add. But that said, uh, you know, it, it was never any excess. I never saw excess out of him. As a matter of fact, you know, he'd smoke a little weed, but that, you know, yeah. sort of weed. Yeah. Um, and everything I've seen, interviews, even the last, and when I say, you know, you don't really see much anything after about 2010, uh, 2009. He's always seems great. There's one yeah. Q&A thing I watch where he's like, hey, I'll talk about anything. If you want to ask me about barbecue, I like to bar, you know, if you want to ask about raising kids, you know, so he was talk. Anything was open. You know, he's very, oh, open. very and, intelligent man. And no just doubt seems about it. like just a, such a normal down to earth. None of the trappings. Right. You know of a rock, rock star. It, it made no sense. Yeah. I mean, it did make sense because I knew he was, I knew he was dealing with the prostate cancer and mm-hmm. he was actually going to play on my solo album. He said, yes, I will do it and for free. And I was like, right on, man. And all I want is one, one song that you can solo right. on, please. And, you know, at that point, you started spiraling and we lost touch. And it got to the point where a friend of mine was still working for him and he said it got bad. I mean, yeah. He was holding the guitar cord to keep him from falling off the stage at certain points. And I was just like, that's not the man I knew. Right. That is not. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, he just had a lot of poor turns and I had no idea, no idea about the emotional problems. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't we all? Yeah. 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 But I guess his were pretty deep seated and, you know, I could see a little bit of a maniac in him. But that's where the genius came from, I would assume. You listen to the Open Fire, the Open Fire album, and what you hear on that is a genius yeah. at work. And it's all instrumental. And, um, yeah, I, I and miss him immensely. He wasn't a uh, he wasn't a trained musician, right? He just, he just learned to play, and yeah. he just ripped. But his sound, so much of what he did in 1973 just became the staple of what everyone else would do. You know, Eddie Van Halen was hugely influenced. Totally. And I, I'm pretty sure if you go back to those, I can't remember the radio station where they played the live broadcast of Ronnie's band before it was called Montrose. They just... They play it. What you know the station I'm talking about? It's in the Bay Area. Yeah, I've... <laughs> play these live shows, and you can hear them playing the songs that would be on the first Montrose album that Sammy and him had written. Right. I'm, and you would know, he's doing some tapping on that in 1973. Yeah. This is pre Van Halen, and I'm pretty sure he's doing some tapping. I'd and, never seen him. I'd never and, seen it. And, and he never and, incorporated that that I saw. Yeah. It was all about picking it, man. And maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but because I remember one of the one of the old tales is that Eddie got pissed off because he saw Ronnie tapping once or something. And he thought <laughs> he stole it. I I don't know if that's true, but I'm pretty sure I I'll find it, Pat. And I'm going to send it to you. There's a part on that recording where to me. It sounds like Ronnie is tapping, and this is like in 1972. It could very well be. I, you know, it's, no. you're probably talking about KSJO, which was that's the, the rock station, and yeah. it just brought up a just a great memory. Thank mm-hmm. you, Jeremy. 
we were playing in at a club in Santa Clara. And so we went in for the morning show interview with Lamont and Tonelli. And it yep. was a big listenership. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, just being goofy, talking about our gig. And Oh, and hey, Ronnie, I guess there's a guitar over there. You know, they hid an electric guitar so that they could throw it at him. <laughs> kind of play. Him to play something, right? And he goes, oh, right. Play something, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hands it to me, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sure, I will. And I did, man. I was just like, you're going to challenge me like that, pal. I'm going to follow through. <laughs> Talk awesome. about awkward. <laughs> Look, awesome. I figured out what to play. It was like, I was like, what am I going to play? Oh, my God. He was, that's, see, that was his sense of humor. He's like, and, oh, that's cool. And, play something. <laughs> I, I, John, so think about this. This was a, this is back in the 70s. This is probably a later time that you're talking about, but there was a station that played live in studio concerts, like on a Tuesday morning. Right. So yeah, they'd, morning have, drive, right? they'd have someone come in and play a 40 minute set live. Yeah. Wow. They would never do that anymore. Never happen ever again. That is. That we is lived awesome. in the best days of rock. I, I oh, am yeah. so blessed. I do. I mean, I feel so blessed to have had and, that time. And the, a common refrain we talk about, on the show and Ronnie, you know, Ronnie is one of these guys is mortality, right? Is these rock icons. We lost Eddie Van Halen. We lost Neil Peart, all these famous people, you know, everyone, but Keith Richards will die eventually. <laughs> right. Um, and that's sad. Yeah. You know, that's sad. Hey, there's a great question here from Black Hat Music. Thank you for joining us from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. Oh, I, I didn't um, even see the comments. I'm going to go to the comments. Yeah, I'm sharing. I'm sharing them as they, as they come through. Are you seeing the comments, John? Yeah, I'm trying to share them as I come through. So, what music did Ronnie listen to casually? What did Ronnie like to listen to? I have no idea. Uh, the funny thing would be is we would be at a diner or something. And all of a sudden, Van Morrison Wild Nights would come on, you know, and I'd be like, and I I remember I jokingly said, didn't joke. I said, boy, you know, I used to play that in a cover band, not knowing. Right. And he looks at me and goes, yeah, that's me. They would do that kind of stuff. It would yeah. just be like, and so, you know, the guy made so much music. He was very much like me. I didn't listen to a lot of it because I was making so much of it that I was burned out on it, you know, or not burned out on what I was doing. But when you're in that creative place and you've been a pioneer trailblazer, you're not really needing to draw off anybody. Um, right. So I'm sure he did is, you know, some probably had, you know, easy, cool jazz going on while he was barbecuing, you know, <laughs> guitar music. He probably could have taken or left because, you know, that was he was saturated in that. So symphonic music? I don't know. I really don't. That's I'm great. Sorry. Let me ask a few questions about your channel. You have how many total just I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how many total videos do you think you've done about the various TV shows? Hundreds. Hundreds. So a lot. Yeah. So, probably about uh, I'm guessing about I don't know, about 250 maybe. So what are your personal favorites like? reruns you know we talk about the syndicated shows that i grew up 
watching after school or whatever. What are your all-time favorites? What are the ones that you really like? Well, I was way into the sci-fi. Um, Star Trek got it all started for me um, because I just I was burned out for whatever reason. I don't know what. And, and suddenly shore leave is on and it's the one where anything they think actually happens. And unfortunately, they're not in control of what they're thinking. And I was just like, this is what for me. Then I discovered The Outer Limits, got way into that show because it was one of the best. I like, you know, a lot of the sitcoms. So, you know, it's funny. You guys mentioned Sid and Marty Croft Mm -hmm. a little earlier. Tomorrow, I'm actually doing a live stream myself, interviewing the producer of the Sid and Marty Croft convention, first ever that's happening in May. And... The, the cats from Land of the Lost, who I'm friends with, are going to be there. It's Kathy and Wesley and uh, Butch Patrick's going to be there. Wow. <laughs> um, Johnny Whitaker. Who Johnny is, Whitaker, I've met he's him. Gonna, he's yeah. going to be there. Um, and they were all and in he was those. On Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Sea Monsters. yeah. Butch Patrick was uh, Lidsville. Lidsville. Yeah. Lidsville. And yeah. Lidsville. Um, Johnny Whitaker was Family Affair. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh. All right. Yep. And I'm very good friends with Kathy Garber too, who played Sissy on that That's show. So it's awesome. one of the things that from doing what I do, it's 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 caught the attention of some of these classic stars uh, because I would do things for them. I would review their books. I would promote their websites. I would say, mm-hmm. you know, and, and one of the greatest was Jerry Mathers. Jerry Mathers reaching out to me and telling me how much he appreciates, man. I'm just like, what? That's awesome. What? And, and next thing I know, he's like, what's your address? And he's sending me autographed pictures. He sends me his new Christmas stuff that he comes up with every year. And we met like in a photo op thing. But now with what I do, he sees, according to him, the quality of it. And we're apparently going to be close friends. <laughs> I'm like, that is awesome. Well, with the beef. <laughs> and it is, you know what? The quality is great. I mean, that's what I love about your channel. The the graphics, it's really well done. And Thank and you. you I know your your ha- channel hasn't been around that long. Uh, and you know this, but YouTube <laughs> YouTube is a long game, right? It's a long game and all of a sudden one of those videos, yeah. you might already have some that have done it. But you'll well, get one of those that goes viral, and you'll like, you'll ex- yeah. you'll explode. I I know that channel is going to just explode. Huge. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, it's maddening. YouTube, you, YouTube is maddening because yeah. it's all about the algorithms, not necessarily the quality. Exactly. Then it's the length, and that's all this and that, and how much playthrough and follow through and blah 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 blah, and it just is like. You know, I have a friend. His name's Dave Sundstrom, who's a creator of nostalgic retro type stuff that I do. And we become friends via, he said, just that one video, 125,000 subscribers, not just views, but subscribers, yeah. which is where the money's at. And so totally. he literally gets paid from YouTube. Yeah. Now me, I've been on, I've had that channel open for about five years, way too long for not having the recognition that Dave says it should have. Yeah. So, so, Everybody, head over to Golden no, Ranger TV. And, and I'm not. I'm not just saying that because you're a guest here. It's a really good channel and really entertaining. And I don't know why you don't have 
300,000 subscribers. That's yeah. the anomaly, you know? And of course, the oh, so he's a guitar player. He's a rock yeah. guitar player. Is that what he is? And then, oh, now he's not playing that, doing yeah. that anymore. And I did, I couldn't because I damaged my ears over the years so badly right. that I can only handle nylon strings right now wow. as it is. Wow. Um, no complaints, you know, headphones are really dangerous fellow guitar players, fellow recording guitar players Drink out there. Headphones, yeah. Be very careful of your headphones. Do not wear them for extended periods. Do not play them too loud. Also, hear, hearing protection. <laughs> yeah. My day, it it's monitor wedges up in your face, side fills here, drummers with no baffles, and man, no wonder my hearing's gone, yeah. you know? And it's just like I had friends that say you'd do it all over again, wouldn't you, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. But, you know, it's, it's just well, things happen, and that's why I just decided to just become a talking head like I'm doing right now. Yeah. And saying, hey, greetings, fellow Classic TV fans. This show aired from this time to this time. And, and it's great. A couple it's of fascinating facts without taking forever. I come from a television background. Uh, actually, worked in television for a while, and your production values are very good. <laughs> I'm actually embarrassed about our production values. Yeah, oh. yeah, we have none. We have yeah. none. <laughs> um, but we're okay with that. Yeah. Well, we make it up for our personality and our appearance. I think. Don't you think so? Well, I don't do that all alone. As I mentioned my friend Christian Taylor, who I grew up with playing music, and he's become a masterful video editor and photographer. He's one of those guys that anything he does. Uh, when we were in the soap opera band together, because we were on a, we were on General Hospital for awesome. about, about uh, well, we, we did that band for about 10 years. And that was a great experience, but won an Emmy for Best Original Song. And that was mostly his piece. I had to, I got to write the solo, so I was like, "I'll take that statue." And like, sorry, you only get a plaque. You only get yeah. a plaque for the solo. And it's just like, okay, I'll take the plaque. It still says oh. Academy of Television Arts and Sciences on it. I'm like, yeah, and I won. Does the bottom <laughs> of it say your name here? You have to yes, name here. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah. Well, it's just like I'm also. I didn't want to pay for the statue, you know, and of course right. they make you pay for it. Even if you want it, it's like, okay, 250 bucks. Forget it. Well, Pat, plug your channel. Blackout music is saying, what is the name again? It sounds right up my alley. So give us the full name of your YouTube channel. And you guys watching this, make sure you go over and subscribe to yes, please. It's the golden, <laughs> golden rage of TV, right? That's it. And not the, just, just gold. Golden, Golden rage. rage of TV. And then what you'll see there is different playlists. Mostly, initially, what you'll see is just my talking head talking about classic TV shows. Um, and those quick snippets that run sometimes are only one minute. Sometimes they're three minutes. It's just I'm, I'm kind of toying around with different times. Um, but you also see the music playlists. And that's where, you know, with this channel, your followers, go look at that. Because yeah, I'm really, out. really proud of it. I really check out am. those. Uh, music critic just subscribed, so there thank you go. Thank you, Black Hat. You need to make sure you go subscribe to yeah, her. We'll, thank we'll, track you guys. You down, we'll track you down in Tulsa, Black Hat. I appreciate so. that very much. <laughs> very much. Make sure to do that. Okay, and he's gonna he's gonna subscribe too. So, Pat, we we want to thank you so much for for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Totally. We'll, we'll reserve the right to have you back on. It's, uh, yes, I want to please. talk to you again. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and John, again, I never let John talk enough on this show. <laughs> John, 
John's going to splinter <laughs> off and start his own podcast yeah. where he's allowed to talk, I think is one well, of the that's, that's it's a great, great time. Thank you guys for having me. I really yeah, appreciate it. Like I said, so I'm a fan of you too. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And and we will, by the way, we, we do this live uh, feed and then we'll edit this into the actual podcast episode. So it'll get posted up here in the next couple of days too. So, uh, and all of you who join the live feed, Thank you. If you're watching the recording, thank you. Go out and subscribe to Pat's Golden Rage of TV channel. Uh, follow him on uh, Twitter also. So yeah, and that's Twitter. that's at Golden Rage of TV one. And and by the way, folks, don't forget to click the like button on this stream. Yes. Don't forget to do that because that, that actually does help. Um, it does help a bunch. Hit the like button. So, so <laughs> all right. Hit the like button. Thank you so much, John, Thank Pat. It's been fun. Every, all of you for, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thank bye you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.